1: know you'll be alright even when times get hard and you feel like you're in the dark you will see just how beautiful life can be when you soften your heart you can finally start to live your truth See is like
2: Welcome back to The Truthiest Life. It's your host, Lisa Ham. This week's episode is fantastic. It's with one of my dear friends, and this is why I started The Truthiest Life. So you could kind of grab a seat at the amazing one-on-one conversations that I have with people in my community who inspire me. And with Sama, she's one of my closest friends, so it's just such a fun conversation where it really feels like she's in my kitchen and we're just kind of shooting the shit and you're there along for the ride. Her story is so inspiring, and she recently wrote a freaking cookbook and we're going to learn about her journey to getting there. Before we dive in, I want to let you know that my online course, Fork the Noise, Hunger and Fullness is running for the final time of this year led by me before baby S arrives to this world. Kind of sad, but also exciting. And if you're unfamiliar, Fork the Noise, Hunger, Fullness is a six-week program and it's all about the mind-body connection, recreating that so that you can reconnect to your body's wisdom, identify all the noise and junk that's pulling you away from it, and learn how to truly listen to your body. So it's not just go on out there and listen to your body. I'm there providing you with the tools so that you truly can listen and understand your body. The inspiration for this course is based on a sense we all have called interoception. And this is the sense in our body that lets us know when we're hungry, when we're full, when we're thirsty, when we're hot, when we need to pee. And research shows us that mindfulness actually strengthens the part of our brain called the insular cortex that is related to interoception. So in other words, if we can strengthen our interoceptive abilities, we can better listen and take care of our own bodies. And if you've ever been annoyed that you just can't stop eating, or you're always hungry, or you're frustrated that you end every meal so uncomfortably full, or you're like me, where you just can't stop thinking about food and just just want to learn how to make easy, satisfying, nourishing choices that really work for your body and your body specifically, then consider joining us for the final session of this year. So we kicked off last Sunday for week one, and this Sunday is the final day to join us before we jump into week two, before our live calls begin with our VIP students. There's two options, classic or VIP. VIP gets options to these live calls, which are amazing. We meet three times and This week will be one of them. And yeah, if you want to learn more, you can head to forkthenoise.com forward slash HF or email me at helloforkthenoise.com for questions. So hope you'll consider joining. If it speaks to you, of course, I think that every human being can benefit from learning and fostering their own mind-body connection. I know firsthand that these tools have drastically changed my life, improved my well-being, and saved me so much time and energy, and certainly saved me from the guilt and the stress and the burnout I used to have around food. So if you're ready to recreate that mind-body connection, restore a healthy relationship to food. I hope that you'll join us for this final session of the year. Without further ado, let's jump into this amazing episode with Sama welcome back to the truthiest life today's guest is my dear friend sama dada who you may know she is the recipe developer behind dada eats on instagram she's also host of hashtag cooking for the today show and she is a very soon to be well by the time this episode is out you'll probably be a published author so hello wow congrats Thank you so much for having me. I love you and I'm so honored to be here. I can't believe you're going to be, I mean, you're already an author, but I mean, published, you can buy it at real stores. Isn't that crazy? Like who gave me permission? Like, I just am <laughs> like, what is going on? It's it's a
1: dream for sure. I think it's always really rewarding to have sort of a tangible product to the things that you do and something to share with other people. So I'm just truly so
2: excited, nervous overwhelms all the feelings it's so cool for me as not just your friend but we did meet on Instagram I mean I don't know four years ago maybe
1: yeah probably more at this point like you were my first real oh this is like a real friend that I have met on social media truly like and I think that like one of the best so yeah very grateful
2: for the app very grateful but it's so cool for me as your friend to watch you go from I don't like this word but side hustle which it really was for you I mean yeah for you it was a side hustle this you know girl in New York City going to (laughs) restaurants taking pictures of food and then watch you transition into your own recipe how you tell stories through your recipe watching you on the today show I mean with millions of eyes in front of you to now like a book that I'm going to be able to hold in my hands and say, this is my friend. She was at my wedding and I know her. I text her all the time, my own little celeb. <laughs> oh, I love you. Best wedding of my life, by the way.
1: But yeah, it's so crazy. I, and I'm sure you can attest to this as well. When you do things without the intention of it being something else, it always just surprises you. And I think I never started Dada Eats like, with any intention of it being anything other than a hobby or, you know, a side hustle or a side project. So to see it kind of unfold into something that I never really knew it could be is very um,
2: humbling and exciting for me, for sure. So when you started Dada Eats, the Instagram account, you had no plans to even have a website? No, I was like, I my camera roll is getting really
1: clogged up. Like I got to put these photos of ice cream somewhere. Like, that was what I was thinking. I, I and I also thought I think especially around that time as well, Like, you know, too, because you were really early in the game, like food blogging and people just putting their food on Instagram was kind of just like, a, oh, I feel like people are going to judge me for this. And I didn't care. But I think a part of me was like, oh, you know, this probably isn't the norm, but it didn't matter. I was
2: like, you know what? <laughs> this ice cream needs to have a home. So when you say people would judge you, do you mean your friends, people that knew you? Maybe not the people who knew me, but
1: I just think the idea of having like a second Instagram and a second home for your food was sort of like, oh, that's kind of interesting for her to make that life choice. And I think only because it was so early, like what, five years ago, like not a lot of people were were doing it at that time, I would go as far to say, but now of course it's such a saturated space and there are tons of people doing it. So I think being
2: in on it a bit earlier was a bit scary and vulnerable too. And I think a lot of people see where you're at now or perhaps they've followed you along this entire journey but they don't really know what it looked like. Like, I feel like as your friend, I got the backstage pass as to how crazy your life was. And I feel like the only person that had crazier hours or no, your hours were crazier than Evan, my husband, (laughs) but most people, (laughs) you know, even if you don't, you don't share a lot of personal on Instagram, which is totally fine, but the disservice is that people didn't get to see how hard you were working to fulfill dual passions at the same time. So when you started data, tell everybody what your life looked like in New York City, your job, what that was like from, you know, the inside scoop. Well, thank you for saying that. And yeah, it
1: was pretty wild. So I did actually move to New York to start a job at NBC in the PAGE program, and this is a rotational program in television where you work, you know, different areas within NBC, like The Tonight Show or SNL or The Today Show, in order to gain more experience working in TV. And that was always something that I wanted to do. At the time, I think I wanted to be like an entertainment reporter or a digital reporter or something like that. That was more maybe entertainment, pop culture, food, all of the things. But then after I got a job at the Today Show, my hours were basically I'd wake up at 3.30 in the morning, um, maybe like 3.15. I'd be at work at four. I'd work in the control room all day probably to like two, I'd build the rundown, I'd be, you know, around all the producers. It was just truly the best opportunity and the best job. I just absolutely loved it. I loved being in television, working in television. Then I would come home at the end of the day at like two or three and I would just cook (laughs) for my vlog, and I would try and maintain that post new recipes and then I would try to feed myself and like exercise or like go on a walk or something and then go to sleep at 8 p.m to wake up and do it all over again to say I (laughs) didn't have friends outside of work would be (laughs) an understatement because I just really prioritized my work it was all I did um And I don't mean to say that to glamorize it, because I don't think that that is, you know, necessarily a great balance. I don't think I was very balanced at that time. But, you know, I really did love it so much. And I had such a passion for it. And I still consider those people my family for sure.
2: Yeah, you definitely weren't balanced. I feel like we were kind <laughs> of always like trying to figure out how you could have more well-being in your life because like you said, like yeah, you have to be asleep at eight to even try to get seven hours of sleep.
1: Yeah, like asleep, like knocked out. And like, there's no way. Like I, you know, sometimes I'd want to have dinner with a friend or I'd want to do something that would give me, you know, some
2: semblance of life outside of work. But- it was very challenging for sure. Oh my gosh. I mean, crazy challenging. I feel like even just health-wise, you didn't have a moment to even go see a doctor or take care of anything. I still have my wisdom teeth. (laughs) (laughs) Like they're still in there. (laughs) I should have gotten them out years ago.
1: Um, No, but it's so true. I just, and that's the kind of thing that you put to the side and you just like brush it off because it isn't really something that you know, you're you're necessarily prioritizing when your work is so important. And so it takes the center stage for everything that, you know, my health and my sleep and my mental health and my well-being. Those are all the things that I didn't actually even stop to think about, I don't think, until the pandemic hit, to be completely honest. So definitely a different type of balance, for sure, I'm trying to
2: achieve. And so maybe we'll we'll get to, to that if you're willing to talk about it. But and like mm-hmm. you said, I think it's important to not glamorize the hustle on top of the hustle. But that being said, it was the reality of your life. And I think that it's important that when we see somebody who is the host of a cooking show with the Today Show, um, an author, you know, all these things, we think that it comes or has, you know, 200,000 followers like you, we think that it comes easy. I'll just start. And we're either falsely led down the road of this is going to be easy. All I have to do is take a picture of food and post it and throw some hashtags on it. Or we really don't give the person, I believe, like the credit of what you've sacrificed along the way. I mean, dating, friendships, sleep, doctor's appointments, wisdom teeth, all that stuff. And again, it's not to glamorize it, but it was... And is the reality of your success at age? How old are you? Let's also dial that in. I'm 26, baby. <laughs> 26, and it's just incredible. So I think it is an important well, part you. of your story, and for people to hear those hours, to also just like recognize when we watch a TV show that it's not just the talent getting on there at you know 5 a.m. starting their day, like all the people that go into every little thing that we don't we don't know that so. Yeah. So then just to kind of pivot a second, you have always been you said like in the control room. So you were, you know, writing scripts and outlines for what the people were going to say or how the show was going to go for a bunch of years. What was it like to see famous people all the time and work so closely with them?
1: I think, you know, it's so interesting because I had watched the Today Show from when I was little, like I'd always wake up in the morning and watch it with my mom, like before I went to school. And it was always this dream of mine to work at NBC and be there, though I didn't really even think about it until I like saw this old picture of myself from like, I think it was just four years before I got the page job and I had like really like a New York picture in front of NBC and I remember telling my mom very clearly like I'm gonna work here one day and that's on manifesting but no I it's it's really interesting because it it was a dream for me to work in television but to work at that level to work like among the best of the best really like the producers the writers the anchors, everybody. But I think what sticks out to me the most is that no matter the caliber of the reporting or the news or the work, the people were genuinely the most amazing, talented, warm, welcoming people I've ever worked with and I think that was something that it it was just honestly crucial for me because to work at that insane level to work those hours you've got to at least on some level like some of the people you're with and I feel really lucky that 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 was a a thing and it was just truly a dream for sure and I'm still close with everybody there and I feel very much a part of the family not just because I was bringing brownies to work like at 4 a.m every morning that I
2: hope there's more to that than that but yeah it was definitely amazing for sure. At some point while you're working there, they find out about Dada Eats, like the big talent, right? (laughs) Or did they always know about it?
1: So yeah, they kind of found out about it and it was something that I and a lot of people I think probably think that I was just working there and like sideline like pitching myself to the team, mm. and that was like totally not how it happened. Yeah, I, I know was that. truly just like living my life, cooking on the side. I was like, shoot, I have like a dozen brownies. I'm not gonna eat all of these. Like, let me bring some to like my producer friends or whatever. And so I had gotten to be close with Savannah Guthrie while I was a page because we <laughs> we were she was pregnant. I was um, a page for the Today Show, and we both were at home. We weren't. We didn't go to the Olympics like all the other producers. So we got to be close, and that's when she started trying my recipes, and then later some of the producers found out about the blog and decided to book me as a guest and I think you know this Lisa because you've known me for so many years even if I'm freaking out on the inside like I will be cool cucumber on the outside (laughs) you'll never know like you'll literally never know so of course when like the head of you know NBC asked me to like on a, the show as a guest I was like yeah yeah, yeah like I would love to of course inside freaking out let me see if I have time yeah, real quick like, <laughs> let me see between my production assistant job if I can fit <laughs> that in thank you <laughs> for asking but no it was just a dream I mean again in high school and in college I was like you know a reporter would be kind of cool like I kind of want to be on tv and like you know talk to people and get to know people's stories and and do that whole route and it almost felt like it was this crazy crazy opportunity that I could have never even dreamt up if I if I even thought about it
2: so what was the first segment with the which which recipe did you do I did two desserts so I did a chickpea
1: brown uh, chickpea blondies my classic chickpea blondies and I did some tahini brownies Mm. and the funny thing about these recipes is that you know most of the audience and most of the the chefs that come on the show do pretty like legit like butter we're cooking meat we're cooking steak at 8am but I'm like here guys like let's put some chickpeas and blondies and it was so different I think and so interesting to put a healthier I don't even like using them with healthy but just a different sort of twist on desserts with using real ingredients and people were really into it and then I kind
2: of just started getting booked after that so you went back on again you mean
1: yeah, so within the, I think the next year that I was still a PA, I was on like six segments oh after that. Oh my gosh. So, yeah, it was pretty crazy. Both on the eight o'clock hour, I did Kathy Lee and Hoda at the time, I did the Weekend Today show. So I think people really took to the type of cooking that I was bringing to the table because mm-hmm. it was a bit different and something that everyone is always looking for new ways to use different ingredients in ways that maybe they weren't thinking of or that make them feel a bit better using healthier ingredients. So I think that really resonated with the
2: audience and the producers as well. Right. I mean, keep in mind the audience is, you know, America versus on Instagram. It's a very funneled group of people that so niche, so niche that are yes. familiar perhaps with using things like chickpeas in dessert type recipes where, you know, America's like, wait, what? You could have something delicious and, you know, remove some of the sugar and it could still taste good. And I know I saw at least one of your segments live, which was super fun for me from the couch of when I lived in (laughs) DC, I remember like tuning in and it was so exciting. But the part that was so exciting was that you didn't freeze on camera. You we able yeah. to bring your true self, your true personality, your funniness, your quirkiness, not qu- you're not quirky. You're really funny. You're witty. Hello. You're witty. Oh, thank you. Yeah. But you brought your sass Thanks, on baby. there and you were like feeding, I think, Carson Daly, I believe. Does that sound right? <laughs> and like he was like a big yeah. celebrity for me growing up. So I was like, she's so chill feeding Carson Daly right now and he was like nom 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 <laughs> nom 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 and I was like oh my God.
1: the funniest was seeing people like Carson Daly or Al Roker Eating like blondies with chickpeas in it. And I was like, what have I done? Like, excellent work, Thomas. But they
2: loved it. And I feel (laughs) like those segments, each of them really changed Dada Eats on Instagram because it expanded your audience so widely as well. And people saw you the same way they would see any celebrity on TV. So you weren't just, oh, this blogger that I found. You were you became this food expert that's nationally recognized.
1: I think I definitely had a lot of imposter syndrome at the time because of that. And I think it was like, you know, why me like I just am kind of here behind the scenes, cooking this food and and hoping for the best and obviously hoping that that was the track that I would take but not even thinking it was even remotely possible there was it just didn't even cross my mind so I think to take a step back and be like no Sama like you actually worked for this like you put in a lot of work for this moment and for these moments and to be recognized I think everybody wants to feel recognized I think that any of our cores, right? With the work we do, with the people we surround ourselves with, it's it's the recognition and the being like, "Oh, I see you." Like, that's really great that you're doing that or I'm proud of you. Like that it was just that scaled up to just beyond I could have ever imagined.
2: And we also haven't seen many people that I can think of on TV that look like you doing healthy cooking, you know. And Did you notice that? Did it come with any sort of negatives or positives for you? I think growing up, especially wanting to be on television,
1: I have never really seen a lot of people who look like me. And you're right, especially in the healthy food space, there just really isn't. And I think that was a really big part of my story is Is growing up in an Indian household in a town in California where I was really the only Indian person that I knew. So I had always felt a bit like I didn't belong and sort of straddling this line of not being fully American, not really being fully Indian because I've grown up here. So just being caught in the middle. And I spent, you know, maybe too much of my youth trying to fit in, knowing that, okay, you're just different. And that's okay. Like, you know, you don't have to be like all these other people, you have a culture, you have a, a country that is a home that's not here as well. So to be given the opportunity as a person of color, and as an Indian woman, I think, like every ounce of me just hopes that that really allows more people to do it as well. Because I don't want to have any other like young girl look at TV and be like, oh, shoot, like if I'm not represented here, then I don't belong here.
2: And I've seen um, Vegikins, Remy, I don't know if you know her. The other day someone asked her her if she had any negative experiences with working with brands or casting. It was the question. And she wrote that one time she was cast for something and on the casting board it said, Asian but not too Asian. Oh man. Did you ever experience any sort of typecast like that that you felt like you were allowed to be there because you're diverse but you bring American culture with you? It's interesting because I think that like tokenizing
1: cultures and people for that culture is such a huge thing and you know I don't know if I can necessarily speak to a specific instance for myself like Remy's very specific encounter but I think that's a big thing right like it's like oh you have like one diverse person on the team like check the box I think that's a lot of what goes on and I hope that it's not like that going forward and I think that has a lot to say too with you know just using different ingredients and appropriation of that. And and when does it become appreciation versus appropriation? And
2: I think, you know, that is definitely an issue for sure. Well, if you're going to cast somebody because of their diversity, let them be who they are yeah my friend carolyn's uh boyfriend you know carolyn carolyn yeah, yeah we've had yeah. her on the podcast too her boyfriend q who i want to have on the podcast too he was an mtv i think a vj like whatever carson Daly was he was after yeah and he was telling us a story that you know he was cast because he was black and one day he wore his hair as an afro And the producer came up to him and said, isn't that a little too black for our audience? So, I mean, I don't know the right way to go about this, but it's like in television, there seems to be this. Yes, we want diversity, but we want you to be kind of, for lack of a better word, um, whitewashed. (laughs) Did you see that either personally when working on TV or from the back end, from the production side? I would actually kind of flip it on like myself in
1: the sense of where with my entire blog and my Instagram, I think I've often felt a need to water down my culture and my content to please a Western audience. Mm. And I think that's something that I have struggled with a lot because I'll always you know, talk to my mom and be like, you know, like I could post more Indian food, but I don't feel like that's what people want to see. And it's like, why am I filtering my own self for everyone that shouldn't even be a thing so in terms of the the whitewashing or the watering down um, I, I think that I'm definitely I'm responsible for that for my own page because you know it's almost like a subconscious thing where I find myself doing it even though I don't really know why and I think it's because I'm so used to being like okay how can I make this palatable for for a western audience how can I make this what people want to see so I think this is, you know, on accident led me to create more of the, the brownies and the cookies rather than the chana masalas or the dal maknese, And that's what I want to do both of. So I think I'm trying to do a better job of, and I think this is really, I guess, pertinent and, and apparent in my book as well, is that I really try and straddle both as much as I can because I love both. I love creating the brownies, but I also want to remain true to myself and be like, you know, but I love a doll also.
2: I love that in your book, which you had an an agent and, you know, somebody saw your potential and signed you on. I don't know the whole book process, but it's a big deal. You want to please and get, you know, people excited about your book that are then going Mm -hmm. to get it in front of more eyes. You know, that was your moment where you could have said, I'm just going to do healthy desserts. America clearly loves healthy desserts. I can't fail. And instead, you've chosen to incorporate your culture and show people how delicious it is. I I don't mean to say that it's... Healthy, But I do mean to expand the definition of healthy outside of what Americans think is healthy, which is, you know, people we think sauce is not healthy or if it has flavor, it's not healthy when Indian food can be so healthy and full of fiber and nutrients and spices that are actually incredible for us. Yeah, exact, exact. So that was a big moment for you. Thank you. And I think that was something that I really consciously set out to
1: do. And I feel really lucky that the whole team who was sort of supporting me while I was creating this book really let me do whatever I wanted to do, which it was it's such a blessing as any creative or writer or anything. You don't want... Really, anyone to taint that vision, and unless, of course, to make it better, to to fine tune it. But I was really just kind of like, here, write this book, like bring it to us when it's done, kind of thing. And that is in itself very overwhelming. But what you're saying about Indian food is exactly right. It leans heavily on legumes and vegetables and leafy greens and spices like turmeric and cayenne and cumin, all with amazing properties for your body and for your health. And Um, I think there is this misconception that Indian food is like, okay, I'm time to roll myself home Mm -hmm. in this food coma. And of course, like a lot of what the Indian food in restaurants too is, is created, you know, to make it palatable for, for a Western audience. You'll know like there'll be some restaurants where you go and be like, okay, like, do I want this like Indian spicy or like regular spicy? Mm. There's a difference, you know? So I think that I really want to demystify that whole process of cooking Indian food and, and, and sharing with people that it can be good for you as well.
2: Yeah. And your page, by the way, Dada Eats was your page and you were still kind of westernizing it. So again, it shows the evolution of you, the growth of you, how comfortable you've become in home, in your body, in your soul, in your culture to have this bigger moment, to have all the eyes on you and bring forth that culture.
0: Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Centiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store.
3: Rain or shine, every day is a great day for fishing, right? You got rain gear, but you can't overlook sunny day gear. A Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest days. Like, literally. Its OmniMax cushioning and traction system helps if you're on your feet a lot, say, fighting a fish, not to mention keeping you sure-footed on a wet, rocking boat. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all their performance fishing gear. This is it,
4: your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global.
2: So you said earlier that you really struggled for a long time between not being Indian enough and not being American enough. And in the intro in your book, which I got to a little sneak peek of, I think you illustrated that really beautifully with what you said it was like going to school in elementary school and the lunches you brought versus the lunches that your colleagues or not your colleagues, your peers brought. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the difference between that and how that made you feel.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's just like a very classic immigrant kid story. Like I'm sure there are so many other people whose parents immigrated here and brought them up here, but still had ties to their own culture and their country. Like I would bring, you know, these like Sukha sandwiches which is like a kind of like a Indian sort of like meat and like put sort of like a roast beef let's say but like the Indian version in like a sandwich and my friends would bring like Lunchables and I'd be like okay so this is the move now um but Lunchables are gross like I'm sure I'm offending a lot of people but I'm like would have taken my Sukha sandwich any day over a Lunchable but you know, it, it's one of those things where like, oh, like, what are you eating? Like, oh, this means you're a different, like thing that started at a very young age. And of course, I don't blame my mom or my parents for this at all. Like they did their best. They did an amazing job in, in making sure that we had Ties to to India and also trying to fit in here, but it was definitely very apparent from an early age that I was not about to fit in seamlessly with
2: my peers. Yeah, I mean, I was the That's person. my dog snoring in the background, oh, by the way. I, I don't know if you can, can you hear her. No, I didn't notice, but maybe our audience did. Okay, um, you're boring her. It's just interesting because you know I'm I'm American a few generations back of Jewish descent, so we came over at some point, but I'm pretty American. And, you know, I was bringing Pop-Tarts and uh, Lunchables. I mean, I when Lunchables came out, I was ready to go. And I, I try <laughs> and think about the kids who were bringing food from their culture and my perception of that. And I don't think I was given the tools to really recognize that what to do with different, you know? It was kind of just, I, I think that it's important for those that are bringing their culture and those that are super American to recognize that differences are okay and curiosity can be brought to the table. I mean, you know, I'm a mom-to-be now, so I just hope that my child, I can bring that curiosity and that early understanding that just because a food smells, looks, or tastes different doesn't mean that it's not okay. And it's interesting how food has been a part of your feeling different since you were so young. And yet it's the very thing that has allowed you to both assimilate, but, bring forward that uniqueness in a way where you're not you're no longer tucking it away at least in the last year to two years i've noticed sure you still have amazing dessert recipes that might not be you know that are not indian inspired but you're you're bringing it with your i'm not even going to try and say the names because i don't want to butcher it but (laughs) your indian inspired dishes that i think people are loving Thank you. I mean, I think it's so true. It's sort of the
1: one place where I felt finally a sense of belonging. And I think a lot of people do feel that through food. It is such an amazing way of communication. It's a common denominator for a lot of people, brings people together, and all of those cheesy things where it's like, I would you know, really have a meal with anybody across the table. And that is a means for conversation right there, uh, whatever is on the table. So yeah, I mean, I I think I feel now too, like you're saying, and especially, you know, you're going to raise your baby to be like, you know, what difference is okay. And I hope that a lot of other people will do that. But the best part is, and I I hope to to do this in my book. And that's kind of why I made the choice to put in a lot of personal essays, because I think talking about it and talking about those feelings, and having one person be like, wow, that was a very similar experience to mine. Like, finally, somebody's actually saying something about it. I hope that there's gonna be more of that so that people don't feel so alone in, in that experience.
2: And if you can't relate where I couldn't relate, it at least gave me space to reflect on. Even as a child, could I have done better to make somebody feel Mm. not different? Whether that means, hey, I want half my Lunchable, or can I share, (laughs) you know, can I try what, what you're having? In your book, you say that food is more than just mixing ingredients. It is the language that you taught yourself to be better understood. Woof. That's good.
1: (laughs) Well, it almost made me emotional.
2: It (laughs) It is. It is. Can you elaborate? I feel like we did touch on it, but can you elaborate on what that sentence means?
1: Yeah. Like I said, I I grew up without a, a very strong sense of belonging, and I also didn't really grow up in a huge Indian community. So like I said, this sort of balancing act that I sort of did growing up really just allowed me to feel nothing else but very othered to be honest and it's not that I didn't have friends like I'm not like whoa, is meing me but you know, there definitely was a bit of an undercurrent of feeling like I didn't belong among my peers. And so when I finally went into food and started developing recipes and created a community for myself around food and surrounding food and about sharing food, it gave me a sense of belonging that I had never really experienced before in my life. And this started probably when I moved to New York and joined the PAGE program and I had just basically a cohort of friends to feed. And it was really the first time in my life where everything felt like, okay, this like kind of makes
2: sense. Like this feels right. I love that. And I love that you found that through this accidental, you had too many photos on your phone filled with ice cream, started to share it, turned into a food blogger in your New York City apartment, which by the way, I got to see firsthand, which cracked me up so tiny not just tiny but your appliances <laughs> your toaster i remember was tucked under your television like people really i just feel like you, i hope you told this story a bit in your um book because i didn't actually that's amazing that you remember that and maybe. it was only two years ago like you know it's not like yeah you're this this huge author now and you're so many years away from your humble beginnings no. i mean you're gonna move back to new york and have the same situation <laughs> My air
1: fryer, yes, was underneath my TV on my TV console because I had nowhere else to put it in the kitchen. So whenever anyone would walk in and usually like, you know, I I wasn't able to really host any dinner parties. I still did. But like I was in a studio. It wasn't like I didn't even have a dining table. (laughs) I didn't even have a dining table. And yes, I kept my air fryer underneath my TV.
2: For me, it was such a funny moment because, again, I had never been to your apartment and I've always seen your creations. I remember you seeing this now. I need a lot of space if I'm going to create. If I'm going to create anything, I'm going to like be all over the walls and millions of bowls if it's in the kitchen. But even to create my courses, I mean, you should I need like four rooms, one to think, (laughs) one to write, one to throw paper in, one to put post-its on the walls. It's like a whole thing and then you know when you see your final product mostly which is your beautiful food in what could be a professional photo Uh it's like it was all taken here in this one room next to the toaster which is next to the bed which is you know next to the quote-unquote dining room it was like no it was amazing because I think a lot of people feel like they need to be in a certain place to make the magic and it was proof that you don't you just make it happen. Yeah,
1: I mean, I definitely didn't have a lot of resources. I wasn't in a huge apartment. It was very small. It was like 400 square feet. I use all my photos are taken on my iPhone. I didn't have a big setup, didn't have any lights, didn't have any tripod, like literally nothing. And I think and again that really comes from being like okay this is like my hobby but I'm going to make it good. If it's my hobby I'm still going to put quality into this work. And yeah, you don't just get started. I feel like, you know, you don't need a lot to make your passion kind of shine if you really care about it. Mm,
2: yeah, I just love that story. I just couldn't do this podcast without shining light on <laughs> the situation where the magic was born. And again, you're this you're on TV now. It's this whole it's this whole thing. <laughs> So you also mentioned in the intro that in order to cope with this kind of identity crisis, not being American enough, not being Indian enough, you become a people pleaser and a perfectionist, much of which I think is attributed to your success. But like most people, once you recognize some of the character traits that you built up as to cope, you can then start to shift and you can still be thankful for everything that happened in the past. But how do you deal with that now when your perfectionist and people pleasing tendencies come up?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And also something that I definitely still struggle with. I think the people-pleasing tendencies in me were really just this mechanism to be like, I want everyone to like me, so I can feel like I can belong. I can feel like I'm good at something, and that that's where my worth was really derived from—is my excelling at things, getting straight A's, getting into a good college. That was where I was trying to show my worth—is by being, you know, smart or being accomplished or whatever. But you know, I think that stuff does kind of come to bite you <laughs> at the end. Um, I still find myself struggling with, with people pleasing tendencies and and why I'm not for everyone. Everyone is not for me. So why do I have to feel like I need to be something for everybody? I don't and nobody really has to. And the people who are around you and the people who will support you regardless will be there no matter what you'd, you'd like to hope. So I think I, I'm just more mindful of it. I think when I do something that feels to me like I am trying to achieve a very unachievable level of perfection, I take myself back and just be like, you know, nothing has to be perfect because you will never reach that. Like it doesn't exist. I just try and focus on being a good person, being a kind person, putting that energy into everything that I do. And also, I think just surrounding myself with people who have good energy and are kind and good because at the end of the day, like that's all I'm really about and here for.
2: And that's been pretty hard in the pandemic to surround yourself with. the good. We were just talking a little so bit fun. offline where I'm so happy to see you right now. And yeah. like we hype each other up, especially when you put yourself on the Internet where you cannot please everybody, I mean, you use an ingredient that pisses somebody off, then (laughs) for me, you know, (laughs) that that chips away at me as well. And it's something that even though I introspective like you, it still takes a moment to be like, wait a second, it's okay that this person doesn't agree with me. It's Mm -hmm. okay that, that I didn't, you know, make this person happy. Like you said, you're not for everybody, but in a world where, your Instagram followers, your productivity, your work status all defines you. It's Mm -hmm. so scary to have those moments, which are for all of us of feeling like we aren't good enough. Mm -hmm. I think the fact
1: that everything is so quantified these days is really to the detriment of society i think feeling like you have very tangible numbers to compare with other people whether that is a like or whether that is a follow or whether that is a sales on your course or your podcast listens all of that it is so easy it's easier to just do it than it is to not, right? So that comparison trap, I often find myself falling into it. And I think the best way is to really remember that your path is not going to be like anybody else's because you're not like anyone else. Whenever I feel like I'm in this place of comparison or feeling like I'm not good enough, I'm like, well, wait a second. Like, there's no one else who is me. There's no one else who is this other person. So like, you know, love to you, peace to you, but I'm going to be here on my own little path. And that provides me with a lot of solace, honestly, because I think remembering that there's enough for everybody and there's enough love and growth and success to go around because everyone's looks different. Like, I think that's the thing that we forget is that your version of success or your definition of success and I bet that this is going to change as soon as you become a mom too, right? It's going to be different for everybody. So remembering that really brings me down to earth.
2: Yeah. And you you bring me down to earth. At my wedding, you were mm-hmm. probably one of the f- few people that you don't drink alcohol. Um, you've never drank alcohol. Mm-mm. And you were the hypest queen of them all, dancing <laughs> in the after party. But it's so cool to see somebody young, cool, hip, like, and alcohol be not be part of your life and still bring the energy. (laughs) It's just a random example. But
1: yeah, I mean, I don't even think it's I I bet people don't even really know. And that's like the cool thing that I try not to, you know, I I mean, I've never relied on that substance really in my life ever, Um, which has been a blessing for me, because I think at times, of course, it's like, oh, I have to explain myself to people of, like, why I'm not doing this or, you know, meeting new people. And it becomes definitely a level of, like, something to hold or something to do, a distraction. And not having that has really made me, I guess, a more self-assured person. Because whoever
2: doesn't like it, like, okay, it's fine. It's so true, though, what you said. Like, it really does allow us to put a shield on when talking to people. Mm -hmm. And so I've noticed with you and your friendships, they really are so intimate because there's that boundary isn't there, which I think allows you to show up. So I see you.
1: Yeah, I feel so lucky for that. Like, I mean, our friendship, a lot of other friendships that I have, I feel very uninhibited with all of them. And I try and keep it that way. Because I feel like I love vulnerability. I love being there for my friends. I love diving deep with them. I think I don't have really, of course I have like the surface level conversations, but I really do find myself engaging in a lot of conversations like, like this with my friends too, where it's like, you know, we talk a lot about about these things and, and I
2: feel really lucky to have that for sure. So back to your book, I cannot wait to get it in my hands and we're going to put all the information below so people can buy it. It should be out, I believe, by the time this podcast is out, if not pre-order and it will be out any minute now. What day does it come out? June 8th. Oh, June 8th. June 8th. Okay, so we're still in the pre-order when this is going to come out. I thought we were coming out in May. So pre-order is so important for book sales and I think that people need to know that to support the author, to support everything that went into it and Mm -hmm. so... I think it's important for people to know that back end because it's not something that I knew until I had you as an author friend. Um, So if you are thinking about, you know, getting this book for yourself or someone else, now is definitely the time. But what I love is that it's not about being vegan or gluten free, but a lot of the recipes just naturally are that way. Can you explain that to someone who doesn't understand how a book or a cookbook could be naturally vegan or gluten free? I never leaned on labels
1: of my diet, vegan or gluten-free or dairy-free or any of these things. I mostly focused on the ingredients that I was using and how I could pare down a really complicated or intense comfort food type recipe and make it with just very simple ingredients. A lot of these ingredients happen to be things like almond flour, things like almond milk or coconut sugar, things that are you know, deemed to be a bit better for you or a bit pared down than something that is processed. And I think by using these ingredients and just by the nature of what they are, a lot of my recipes happen to be vegan because I'm not using dairy or happen to be gluten-free because I'm using an almond flour. So while I don't lean on the labels as something to define my style of cooking or what a dish is, I think it's cool because it accidentally is this way, meaning that it becomes a lot more inclusive for a variety of diets, right? And that's something that I'm super excited about and proud of because while I'm not, you know, shouting from the rooftops that this is a mostly vegan book or a mostly gluten-free book, It is. And that is, you know, by accident, but it also really amps up that level of inclusivity
2: that I really want to chase in everything I do. I love that. Excited. So what are your top three? I know that might be hard, but your top three favorite recipes,
1: my children in the book or like ever in the book.
2: Well, how about two from the book and then one from your blog so people can check out the book, but then also if they want to be like, okay, well, let's make sure her recipes are good. Let's go to the free (laughs) section of her blog. Exactly.
1: Exactly. I have so much free content on my Instagram. It's actually crazy. I think we both give out so much stuff, which is awesome. And it's exciting to democratize that whole sort of process of being a, a creator. But Oh my gosh, they're like my children. The recipes are my children. The recipes are my babies. Yeah, yeah, they're my children. (laughs) Not to be uh, messed up with the actual child you're having. Um, Yeah, so masala mac and cheese, I think, is definitely a top one. I am obsessed with it. It's a very creamy mac and cheese, it's dairy free. I use a base of cashews, nutritional yeast, a lot of things, and spices to make it Mm. just like really amazing and hearty I also this I don't know why this one is popping into my mind because I love all of them but I have these really delicious salted tahini pretzel cookies Mm. which are just very random and I don't even think I've talked about them before but I just love a cakey cookie and these are like perfect and they got the salt from the pretzels
2: and the tahini grounds them I think I too like a cakey cookie meaning like thick and bready or what do we mean here?
1: I mean, like thick and bready, but like also a bit chewy and not too sweet, mm-hmm. but like yeah. also not too crisp.
2: Yeah, that's my cookie. I love that's that. My cookie.
1: Yeah, same. So I think you'll like this. Um, and then from the blog, I just made recently a few weeks back a tahini brownie recipe. And I, if you know my style, of cookie, you know I'm obsessed with tahini, and I use it in so many things, but. These brownies, I decided to use melted chocolate instead of cacao powder or cocoa powder. Yeah, I would have to say they're definitely
2: my new favorite brownie. And the brookie. You invented a brookie. I did invent a brookie. What is a brookie? Tell everyone what a brookie is.
1: So when you're like in this moment of I'm not sure if I want a cookie or a brownie, like I don't know. You just make a brookie because you've got a layer of a cookie and a layer of a, a brownie. And they're just the brownies on the bottom, cookies on top. You can invert it if you're feeling spicy. Oh, it actually takes two. Oh, it's the combo of both. Yes, it's the combo of both. So, you know,
2: that way you can just cut a little slice. You've got a little bit of brownie cookie on top. I made your blueberry muffin recipe recently and it was delicious. Thank you. Thank you. I really need a lot of handholding when it comes to baking. And so you held my hand, but then as soon as I got started, I realized that I actually didn't need your hand as much because your recipes, like you said, are very simple and the ingredients, even themselves are non-intimidating things I have in my house and the instructions as well come through very clearly versus like I can, a lot of recipes that have just steered me in the wrong direction when it comes to baking. So I think you also do a great job bringing simplicity into baking, which I know can be intimidating for a lot of people.
1: Thank you. I don't want anyone to spend like hours in the kitchen. I want it to be very easy. I want it to be easy to whip up a batch of blueberry muffins like you did, or easy to whip up cookies or a quick pasta. I think by paring everything down and making it approachable and inclusive, that's kind of all I really want to do.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm so excited to have your book in my hand and to gift it to people as well. Cookbooks make Whoa. such a good gift idea, I think. Like if you're ever if anyone's ever yes. hosting you for dinner, which hopefully that we'll see more of that in 2021 as, you know, yes, vaccinations please. roll out and all of that. It's so cool to show up to somebody's house and say, "Oh, here's this cool new cookbook." Such a good idea. I love that. Yeah, it's so nice to show up to somebody's house with something. I think it goes really far. As someone who was previously thoughtless and now thoughtful, (laughs) I tried to be. I try to activate my my inner Sama or my inner Katie Lemons, who's Twist of Lemons on Instagram. Katie has taught me so much about being thoughtful. She's always like that one thing that just makes you... Thinking of something. Yeah, but it really just says like... It's just like reciprocity. You cook for me, I bring this, and um, it just goes far. So I think that it's great to even keep a few cookbooks in your house and just have them on the go <laughs> when you're looking to gift somebody something meaningful, like flowers die, you know, cookbooks last forever. <laughs>
1: That should be a tagline. I'm gonna say that. Flowers Flowers. die, cookbooks last forever.
2: (laughs) Well, I'm so excited. We'll link your cookbook below, your Instagram below. I'm sure everybody already follows you, but in case they haven't, again, her captions bring delicious recipes, but also your humor, which that's the thing that, you know, nobody could really ever compete with you it might be a saturated space but the sama comes through and as you get older it keeps coming through more loudly and more clearly and i love that thanks lily i love you thank you. you so much for having me this is so fun thank you for being here and thank you for being you i love you and thanks for living your truthiest life oh my gosh my truthiest life i love it
0: you wouldn't expect to hear that we're america's third best city for beer like this one